From the Bates Motel, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men who wouldn't even harm a fly, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Always love the Hitchcock references. Corey, who sent that one in, please? That was brought to you by Eric Altieri, who would harm a fly. Mm. I have video. Oh. Corey has video. He does. Oh, by the way. Um, <laughs> she blew right over that. I don't. Okay. Uh, I, so last night, celebrity sighting last night. Yes. Uh, who and where? I'm at a restaurant in Brentwood. Yes. Called, uh, should I say the name of the restaurant? Yeah, why not? Give them a plug. It's not <laughs> like we get advertising. Exactly. Uh, Tavern. Tavern. Now, Tavern is, an, is, is a restaurant in Brentwood where uh, uh, President Obama, when he was in town a couple times ago, he ate Yeah, Tavern. he's in town again this weekend. Yeah, no. now, it, now, Tavern's not, it's a very nice restaurant. It's, it's, it's not like a super fancy presidential restaurant. Right. It's a nice restaurant, a great okay. bar area. Sure. Um, and in, into the bar, and it's a small bar area, so it's not like uh, it's a cavernous, uh, super hip, uh, gigantic mm-hmm. bar thing. Sure. Is uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Jennifer Garner. No kidding. No kidding. Well, how about that? And then, so get this. And uh, Ben Affleck looks like Ben Affleck, and Jennifer Garner looks like uh, Jennifer Garner. Sure. Um, and so get this. So it it's, turns out it's a out good thing because I would, I would, I'd be very surprised if, if Ben, ben Affleck, Affleck looked like, like you know Jennifer Garner and Jennifer Garner looked like Ben Affleck. <laughs> In that then, case, I want to have oh. sex with Ben Affleck. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That was the case. Uh, you know what? Neither of them. Thank you very much. But um, carry on. So then, if you uh, do your Google, it turns out that uh, I guess they wound up. From Brentwood, yes, they went to Santa Monica, possibly the other way around, and it turns out that Ben Affleck accidentally sideswiped somebody's car. Like after that, Did you, I'm not sure if it was after, after or before. Did you hear the story? No. He winds up si- uh, sideswiping somebody's car mm. and then leaving a note on the person's car. No kidding. Isn't that bizarre? Not really. <laughs> not really. He's got a movie coming out. I can't have any bad no, press. No, no, he. I know. No, but he he leaves a note at this person's car. That says, uh, you know, I accidentally, I, it was, I accidentally, you know, hit your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a note on the windshield. You know, he, here's a here's a contact number. I'll take care of everything. And yeah. I assume he left the number for his assistant or something. But sure. that's what happened. There you go. That was Ben Affleck's night. Wow. And, and here's the thing. I was talking to our our good friend Phil Klein. Yes. Phil Klein. <laughs> and I was saying to Phil, the. Here's the thing. Not that I would ever do this because I'm, Phil, I'm Phil, just... When you, when you say Phil's name, it sounds strangely like Phil is a Vox box. But anyway, so carry on. So I said to Phil, because here's Ben Affleck, and people are leaving him alone. He's right. talking to somebody he ran into. And, you, and the great thing is that as members of LAFCA, mm-hmm. I mean, we could, like if you were there yeah. and I was there, I could have. I'm just not that guy. I don't care yeah. that much. We could have walked up to Ben Affleck and said, hey – I'm a member of the LA Film and Critics Association, you know, love your movie, you know, whatever. And he'd have to sort of like, on a professional level, care we exist. Yeah, okay. So don't you think? I, that's very existential. No, it's true. Okay. If we were just some, like, douchebag who walked yeah. up and said, I love your movie, Ben. You were in the Goodwill Hunting thing, and I like it. <laughs> then he would probably just, like, put up with us for 30 seconds yeah. then tell us to go to hell. Sure. But as members of LAFCA, if sure. we were to walk up to him and say, hey, man, a member of LA Film Critics, you know, Argo's terrific – he would actually have to, and maybe even want to, engage us in sure. a minute of conversation. It is one of the perks of being in Lafka. I guess it is. But you know what? I, look, David Ehrenstein would definitely walk up to Ben Affleck and say things. Yeah. Because uh, you know, David's just hilarious. He's so gregarious, and he's, he's great. Yeah. Uh, me, I just want to eat my food. Okay. Anyway, that was my, uh, that was my last night. All right. Oh, by the way. Yes. Uh, before we get into DVDs, by the way, big, uh, big DVDs today. Oh, oh it's, it's, it's a huge week. A science fiction classic and a science fiction thought it wanted thought it was going to be a classic wind up not being a classic. You know, we got we got presidential movies, we got all kinds okay. of stuff. It's a it's a it's a big week. It is a great week. What? I gotta say, it, and I don't say that very often. Most of the time, we walk in here, it's like, holy crap, do we really have to talk about it's, the and, snorks? You know, do we have to talk about the snorks? Yeah, well, we'll you know, we'll okay. Make a quick what would you like your food to be this week? You uh, have a choice. Uh, you know what I'd like? What? I'd like a chicken. I think. <laughs> Before that's, the show, that's, my, watched, that's my Christopher Walken uh, impression. Before the show, we watched uh, Cooking with Walken on Funny or Die. It's uh, very Which, funny. by the way, wasn't all that funny, but just, just Walken is just funny by virtue of the fact that he's walking. He walks out of his house with two of these, uh, the, these, these, you know, stand-up doll women behind him, like you know what you would see in a in an, in an old, uh, you know, video by what's his name, 
Uh, oh, Ben Affleck sideswipes a Honda. There we go. It's on. He said, hi, knocked off your mirror. Very sorry. We'll cover everything, Ben. That was it. <laughs> okay. he, he also left his phone number, which is more valuable than the cost of the mirror. Okay. Beautiful. So, anyway, here's, okay, so what, moving on. What, what, what food would you like before we talk about it? I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you have a choice. Uh, a little fudgy brownies. Mm, I mean, I give you more than one. Okay. But they're about, about okay. uh, you know, this big. About okay. two inches by two inches. Sure. Uh, my two remaining chocolate chip cookies. Okay. Which is pretty good. Sure. Or I did make something ambitious. That scared That me. turned out about 80% as good as it could have been. And uh, I'm wondering what somebody else thinks of it. Are you ready? Yeah. I made homemade Pop-Tarts. Yeah, I'm, I think I'll go with the brownies. Really? Yeah. You don't want to try the homemade Pop-Tarts? No, I don't like Pop-Tarts. It's, it's not a Pop-Tart. It's, it's basically just like a little chocolate pie. I mean, it's, it's, it's pie crust filled with, with uh, chocolate ganache. Chocolate pie? Not like, it's like chocolate, fruit? A fruit, please. It's okay. basically it's, it's a, it's a pie crust okay. with chocolate ganache in the middle. And so it looks like a Pop-Tart, but it's really a little tiny chocolate pie. I think we're going to go with the brownies. Oh, God. I want somebody else to try that. Yeah. I, you, look, here's the thing. You go with the brownies, and I'm going to talk about exploitation film. Oh, my God. I find That's what we're going to do. And I'll, and I'll knock this out. You know, we got, uh, we got two titles here, which are hilariously similar in, their, uh, in the covers. They are both for uh, any dirty old men out there that are looking for something that is just really, really titillating that you can watch without any of the women in your lives actually knowing about it. Uh, The first one is a mockumentary called Tight. Now, this, before you get any ideas, uh, I want to assure you that's absolutely exactly what it is. Uh, This is about porn stars, female porn stars, who uh, want to form a rock band. And uh, that's essentially all there is to it. Is is it any good? I, you know, it's a mockumentary. It's kind of spinal tapish. Um, not it's not not that great by any chance. But uh, it, it you know it, it porn stars that want to form a rock band, a mockumentary. Sure, I guess whatever. Um, it's it's totally cheap. They made this thing with with next to nothing, and I assume that all these women in it actually do have something to do with the porn industry. So, uh, you know, there you go. It's it's uh, it's there for anyone who responds to that. Uh, the other one is called Strip Mahjong Battle Royale, and uh, this is from the Danger After Dark line. Uh, this basically has pretty much the same kind of cover, except they're Asian women instead of uh, Caucasian women. And uh, you, you, you can't eat these now because they're, they're frozen. Also, I, I threw in this uh, super fudgy cookie because I'm trying to get rid of them. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Uh, anyway, this is from the Danger After Dark line. It is, uh, it, this is basically a Japanese, you know, the Japanese make these really, really twisted kind of uh, S&M softcore movies. And uh, you don't need to watch more than about 10 minutes of this to realize that it's a completely exploitive, uh, exploitative play off of um, Fukasaki's Battle Royale, which, of course, is, you know, the film that is a better Hunger Games than Hunger Games. And uh, it's, you know, it's just a, a twisted way of uh, taking that and mixing it with uh, a little bit of gore and a little bit of uh, nudity and uh, as much as Japanese cinema will, uh, will allow. And there it is. Now, this thing was reportedly made in the 1970s. I can't confirm actually what the date is, but uh, it's, you know, mildly entertaining for people who like that kind of thing. Val Guest, something of a, uh, an exploitation auteur back in the day. Val Guest in 1972 made a movie called Au Pair Girls, which is kind of redundant because an au pair is usually a girl, so Au Pair Girls doesn't really make a lot of sense. But, uh, you know, didn't, you know, Val Guest doesn't really care. This is just one of those films that uh, is out there to convey an idea, and next thing you know, there are uh, nipples and uh, all kinds of ridiculous scenes everywhere. Um, I'll say I like Valguez stuff a lot better than I like uh, the Italian equivalent of this stuff made around the same time. It's sort of uh, a little bit more cheeky, so to speak, than the American uh, exploitation uh, nudie cuties from about a decade earlier. But um, the fact that it's British somehow makes it, you know, a little more entertaining. And then we have a thing from the Something Weird Collection. We love these guys. They were so good to us when we made our documentary Schlock, The Secret History of American Movies. Uh, We uh, licensed a lot of stuff from Something Weird. They are sort of the go-to library for exploitation cinema. And this is an absolutely terrific set. This is six weird noir B-movies. And uh, it is a really terrific collection of movies that nobody would actually want to watch otherwise. But the fact that you get them all on one collection is great. Um, These are uh, B-movie noirs, and uh, they are all from the 1950s and 1960s. 
And uh, we include here Girl on the Run, The Naked Road, The Seventh Commandment, Fear No More, Fall Guy, and Stark Fear. Uh, I I don't know if it, you know Seventh Commandment might actually be the most entertaining one of these, just because it's just so insane how much genre stuff they squeeze into this that makes no sense. The plot makes absolutely no sense. But as far as actually being a decent, uh, decently made movie, uh, Girl on the Run might actually be uh, be the better one because a a very very young, not yet a star, not even remotely recognizable Steve McQueen shows up in it. Steve McQueen. Yep. Never heard of him. And then lastly, from the uh, Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection, uh, which is a, a line released by Impulse Pictures, we have the 1981 film, which is just barely almost out of the 70s, uh, Nympho Diver G-String Festival. Um, Mark, let me repeat. The name of this movie is Nympho Diver G-String Festival. You know, you know what that sounds like? What? You know how when they, uh, when they come out with American films overseas, they always wind up messing up like the title. It yeah. winds up being translated oddly. I, I, I bet that like Nympho Diver G-String Festival mm-hmm. is actually like the master. Like that's, how they, like that's how they translated the master into Japanese. I know. Well, apparently the, 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 the whole diver genre, which is, you know, girls who, who go snorkeling with next to nothing on, is, is some kind of subgenre in uh, Japanese semi-erotic films. And, uh, you know, Japanese pink cinema, I've done a, Andy and I did an audio commentary for some, for some pink cinema films some years ago, and we just find the whole thing just so bizarre and curious. It's, you know, some of the stuff that just goes on in Japan perplexes me. I really don't understand it. Anyway, to try and make sense of this, they do include some liner notes from uh, Japanese film scholar Jasper Sharp, uh, which, are, which could be a little more substantial, but they, they get the job done. Uh, Mark, I just want to share one uh, bit from the packaging with you. The first photo on the back of the box, what do you make? of that down there explain that to the folks out there in listener land uh it's something that <laughs> you would see in a porn film in fact this whole thing is something you'd see in a porn, in a porn it, film it, in fact yeah. this thing is a porn film it, it's it's you know it's it's an erotic film porn film it, it it involves it it involves a lot of soap i'll say that it's awfully sudsy and that's about all they can show on the box. All right, can we, can we talk about something people care yep, about? Yep, let's do it. Um, we got a lot. Of, we got a, a few more lingering television titles here. Some foreign stuff. Uh, I, I we can get to the rest of the foreign we got the stuff. The snorks. The snorks. Yeah, forget about the snorks for Wait now. Wait a minute. We'll, we'll, I want to say I want to talk about the snorks. Okay, go ahead and talk about the snorks if you want. <laughs> this is the worst show ever. Oh, Snorks is a Hanna-Barbera show from uh, like 1984. Ran for like five years. This thing did, and yeah. uh, it's a terrible show. And it's, 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 it's one of those, like, you know, mid-80s, mail-it-in, rudimentary animation, you know, just ridiculous backstory of, like, these underwater creatures who live in snorkeland. And, in fact, I think that the only reason why people know the snorks is because Family Guy did a funny bit on the snorks where um, – <laughs> there was, like, Family Guy They're did – They're a rip-off of the Smurfs, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. But uh, the snorks have this little snorkel on top of their head. And when they get excited, the, the snorkel, you know, stands up on itself. This is a kid's show? Yes. Seriously? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, no, it was so funny. A family Guy did, did this funny thing where, like, where, where like a guy snorkel and a girl snorkel are having dinner. Oh, it's, it's like a date. And so the girl snork drops drops her fork on the floor oh, of course she and does. bends over. Yeah. And then as she bends over, the guy yeah, the guy snork stares at it, and then his little his little snork thing goes up and up. creative humor. It's funny. And now he's hosting the Oscars. Um by the way, you know, there was some decent uh, voice. You know, it doesn't say it here. It doesn't say it here. No, yeah. it really doesn't. There, there was some good voice acting on this show. You realize that Renee Aubergenois was on this show? Nancy Cartwright? Uh-huh. Right, from The Simpsons? That's great. She was a voice on the show, 1984. Mm-hmm. Edie McClurg, right? Come on. Frank Walker <sighs> okay. from Mystery Science? That's anyway, the, the Snorks is terrible. Anyway, complete first season of The Snorks. Uh, a whole lot of stuff going on here. There's no um, special features, but I just think the show is stupid. Awesome. It was stupid in 84, it's stupid now. All right. Uh, really quickly, some uh, foreign language stuff just off the top. we got a bunch of other foreign stuff we may or may not get to by the end of the show because we do have a Vox Box this week. And we got some. Not yet, not yet. Oh, not yet. And we got some uh, listener mail we're going to try and squeeze in. But we got a lot of movies to cover. So I want to go real quickly through some of the foreign language stuff um, that, is, that I want to get out of the way at the top of the show. Uh, the first is Flying Swords of Dragon Gate. This is a uh, Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray combo disc. And they also sent us the DVD, which is pointless. Um, the film's gorgeously shot. Uh, so if you're going to watch it, you're going to watch it in Blu-ray. It's just the colors are better. The sound is better. The Blu-ray, uh, 3D, not so much. And uh, so I'd say Blu-ray, yes. Uh, DVD, no. Blu-ray, 3D, no. 
And here's why. This is the third movie to tell the story of Dragon Gate. The first two were obviously from the 1960s, the uh, King Hu film, which was made in Taiwan, and Hong Kong, a little bit of Hong Kong uh, talent involved. Uh, And that's kind of like a a John Ford Western-style film. It's one of the all-time great martial arts films. And then Choi Huck made his version of Dragon Gate Inn in, like, 1991, 1992, which was one of the early seminal films of the... uh, And Choi Huck only produced it, by the way. He He didn't direct that one. One of the seminal films of the Hong Kong New Wave. So the story, each each film was kind of a, archetypal of its era, and he wanted to go back and uh, direct this one and uh, give it a whole new spin, which isn't such a great new spin. It's loaded with the uh, talent, uh, notably Jet Li, who of course is you know not so young anymore. And the, here's the problem, Mark. I saw this thing in IMAX 3D, and I think I told you this at the time. I fell asleep. And half the people in the auditorium fell asleep. In a movie that is loud and in your face with martial arts and people are getting speared and the whole thing. It's a whole, you know, the story's a whole, like, feudal uh, medieval Chinese history thing where all these clashing forces come together in this remote inn out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. And uh, we figured out later on what the problem was. They did a 3D effect on the subtitles. So the subtitles are, like, suspended right in front of your face. Like a, like a pendulum, like if somebody's hypnotizing you. And it literally lulls you to sleep. Because when you're watching the movie and reading the subtitles, it's not a move of going up and down, up and down, just in a, in a, in a, in a one-dimensional motion like you would do watching a regular foreign film. You're literally having to change the focus, focal length of your eyes. So you're, 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 you're looking up, and then you're adjusting for distance. And then you look down, and you adjust closer. And eventually, you just fall asleep. Well, your eyes get tired. It's just ridiculous. It was just a stupid idea. I don't know why they thought that was going to work. Anyway, um, there's some interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff on here. I, but i got to tell you, the, the film, not so much. It's just, it's a, it's, watch one of, the, one of the previous ones. Watch the originals. They're much better. Um, also worth mentioning is Train of Life by Radu Mihailianu. Uh, this was a, a kind of a. This film came in the wake of uh, Life is Beautiful, and um, it's a French language film that did well at a number of su- festivals. It won the Audience Award at Sundance and uh, did well at Venice as well. And uh, it's it's a little bit like Tree of uh, Tree of Life. It's a little bit like um, Life is Beautiful. Uh, in the sense that it tries to find something whimsical around the edges of the tragedy of the Holocaust. And it takes place in 1941, and it's basically about a Jewish community uh, in France who escapes the Nazis by concocting this whole bizarre charade to hijack a train and make themselves appear like they're prisoners. And it's actually quite good. It's not as good as it should be, but um, it's worth looking at. It's, it's worth a revisitation. Uh, lovely little film, beautiful on Blu-ray, very nicely done, definitely worth a look. Uh, also, Oscar-nominated uh, Milk of Sorrow by Claudia Loza. This was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film uh, a few years ago. This is a, um, you know, uh, tough to exactly explain this because it's a Peruvian film that has a conceit in it about a woman who does a certain thing to uh, protect her virtue. And I don't know that we can actually talk about what it is that she does on, on this show. Is, is it better or worse about than that uh, the film about uh, remember the the woman who had uh, teeth in her private area? Yeah, no, it's not like that. It's not, it's like, not that. like that. No, it's just I don't want to give it away, and it's a little odd, and I'm not. It's kind of funny in a way, but anyway, it's a it's a it's a good film, not a great film. I'm kind of surprised it was Oscar nominated, frankly. Then we also have all six Lone Wolf and Cub films finally out on Blu-ray, courtesy of the great people over at Animago. Uh, this is great. This is long overdue. These films are so great on Blu-ray, you have no idea. Um, Animago always puts a lot of effort into making sure their their transfers are pristine and that their elements are great. And uh, this is terrific. The Lone Wolf and Cub films, in case you don't know, um, basically, you know, it's a you know dad who's a uh, he, he's a Ronin, he's a master samurai and he's got his little boy and his boy's in this booby-trapped baby cart and they're kind of roaming across the feudal uh, shogun landscape of Japan you know fighting people killing people and it's great it's terrific six films were made they were eventually edited and this is based on a manga comic book series and uh, they made six movies out of this 
and then edited them down into two movies, uh, the uh, Shogun Assassin films that were screen that were released in the United States as Shogun Assassin one and two. Those then inspired a graphic novel series that transplanted the story of Shogun Assassin into Gangland America, which was then turned into The Road to Perdition. So a comic book became a series of movies that were edited down into two movies, which then were released in the United States and inspired a graphic novel that then became The Road to Perdition. Uh, you know, can you PowerPoint that? Because I'm confused. Thank you. Just want to make sure you understand that. So Sword of Vengeance, Baby Cart at the River Styx, Baby Cart to Hades, Baby Cart in Peril, Baby Cart in the Land of Demons, White Heaven in Hell. And the one thing I always love about these are the, uh, the warnings that Animago puts on. This one says, warning, contains violence, nudity, and extremely hypertensive villains. That's how we like our villains. That's how we like them. Awesome. And then lastly, Criterion has released what has to be one of the most beautiful Blu-rays ever released. It is Wonkar Wise in the Mood for Love on Blu-ray. Um, it's about time they came out with this on Blu-ray. Man, I'll tell you, this film is just so unbelievably gorgeously shot. Uh, Chris Doyle, you know, one of the all-time great cinematographers ever, and he's an insane guy. I mean, Chris Doyle is a great photographer. He's like, you know, you know, his whole life story is amazing. Chris Doyle was like homeless, and then he went wandering around the world and hitchhiking, and he's vagrant in places, and then found a camera and started taking photographs. Becomes like some amazing still photographer, and then he becomes a cinematographer, and then he's working with Wong Kar Wai, and they piss each other off all the time, and they break up, and they get back together, and they break up and get back together, and keep making movies. It's he's like Chris, Chris, Chris Doyle has this amazing story. He's Australian, and he's just, it's just this wild, weird, woolly, global uh, adventurer lifestyle that he's had. You know, he literally fell into photography and cinematography, but he's g- a genius at it. And uh, this is one of the most beautiful films ever made. 1962, Hong Kong, uh, the whole groovy 60s period is just so lush and so poetic. And it's just such a wonderful romance, you know? It's a fascinating film with incredible performances from uh, the amazing Maggie Chung and um, the wonderful Tony Leung. So, uh, and, and there's some stuff in here where, where they shot it at, uh, in, in um, Cambodia at uh, Angkor Wat, you know, the, the great collection of temples, the amazing wonder of the earth. All sure. The, oh, Gorgeous. Gosh, it's just so incredible. Tons of extras here. Uh, deleted scenes with commentary by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, short film uh, on it. I mean, I can't even get into all this stuff. It's just, you can, you can spend like three hours watching this. There are interviews with uh, Tony Raines, and it's just on and on and on. Lots of stuff. Um, really great. Really, really great. All right, wait. Here's the thing. I'm going to yeah. do. I'm gonna, first of all, I'm going to do some TV while you do two things. What am I going to do? One is you're going to eat these uh, this one brownie and one cookie. Tell me if you like them. Okay. And also, we're going to get yeah. to stuff that people care about because okay. I'm tired of talking about this. Okay. Track. We'll knock out a couple of those TV things yes. and then we'll. All right. Uh, the sixth and final season of Lucy's Show. Twenty four episodes here from the uh, the good folks at Paramount and CBS uh, DVD. They did a pretty good job on this DVD, con- considering that nobody really. Cares. There's outtakes. There's a clip from the Emmy Awards. There's a clip from the Carol Burnett Show. Uh, Lucy's show is uh, it aired from '62 to '68. It was uh, Lucille Ball's follow-up to I Love Lucy, and it was not even remotely as good as I Love Lucy. Although it did kind of, you know, I, I, I think the reason why the show was so popular was because people just loved her. I can't say that the show was all that great, but uh, they did they did do a good job with the DVD. Uh, Whitney season one, you know, uh, in about 2011, all of a sudden Whitney Cummings was everywhere. And by the way, you realize that in my job, I did a uh, a pilot that Whitney uh, that's uh, a that very, Whitney hosted. That's a very chocolatey cookie. It is a very chocolatey cookie. I mean, there's like a lot of chocolate in that yes. cookie. I'm yes. not going to get to sleep tonight. It's a big. Cho- it's a chocolate orgasm. Holy cow! Well, that's a chocolatey cookie. That's the point. My is it gosh. is it too chocolatey? It's like, I, I don't know, it's too chocolate, but it's a lot of chocolate. Yes. My God, It's meant to be a lot of chocolate. Wow. I, I do have another cookie that's a regular chocolate chip cookie, if you'd rather cleanse your palate with that. I'm freaking wired right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Whitney is her sitcom, and this thing aired on NBC, and NBC has a whole lot of uh, stock invested in Whitney. She does have a new show on E! coming out soon, and the season uh, premiere of um, this Whitney show is uh, coming up soon. Anyway, season one is uh, 22 episodes. The show is uh, kind of funny. It's uh, as m- like most shows of its type. It's uh, having a little problem getting its sea legs. But um, I'm sure this season hopefully will be a little bit better. Um, that's, you a know, good, that's a good brownie. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's a good brownie. Thank you very much. I'm going to talk for the rest of the show like this. Uh, uh, please do that. Okay, our next Blu-ray... <laughs> Anyway, it's, right. a, it's a very good Blu-ray. It's got very good This Blu-ray is a very, very, very fine Blu-ray. All right. Um, audio commentaries by Whitney Cummings and uh, Chris D'Elia, the other star of the show, is uh, is quite funny. 
But anyway, Whitney season one, the show again, um, uh, this thing kind of barely limped along. It didn't really do all that great. It did win its time slot a couple times, but still. Um, it's a week show. Se- it's se- a week Well, show. season two seems like the make or break for this particular show, Whitney. Uh, anyway, we have another CW show to talk about. And by the way, this is on uh, DVD, not Blu-ray, which is weird. Nikita. Now, Nikita is kind of based on the uh, Luc Besson film called uh, Nikita. And uh, this one stars Maggie Q. And it's uh, it's a CW show, which means that all the girls are hot and all the guys are handsome. And it's the second series based on La Femme Nikita, and I'm tired of it. Stop, stop, get, do something else for a change. Yeah, no. Anyway, there's a couple of good special features on this thing. It's a it's a pretty well uh, well shot show. Um, but you know what? Honestly, I'd rather watch um, what's the one by Jennifer Garner? What's the one? Uh, Jen, the, uh, uh, Alias. Yeah, I'd rather watch Alias than yeah, watch whatever. this. Complete second season, Nikita. Uh, they're coming out with this to promote the new season, which uh, episodes are Fridays. Anyway, so that's Nikita. Um, also, we have another uh, two-for-one package deal on Bonanza. We have um, nice. Bonanza Season 4, Volume 1, Season 4, Volume 2. Bonanza ran for like 14 years. It uh, still airs in syndication somewhere, although not in L.A. I don't know if it airs in syndication in L.A. But um, anyway, it's uh, you know what? At the time, it was a very popular show. It was uh, Lauren Green, and uh, you know they, him and his sons run a ranch, and who knows what they do? You know, touch little boys. I don't know what they do on the stupid ranch. <coughs> um, <laughs> Bonanza, come on, who, who, who's going to buy that? Anyway, uh, finally on the TV front, before we get to stuff people care about, season two of Happy Endings. Uh, now, here's the funny thing about Happy Endings: is that uh, it's season two of Happy Endings. I bet you didn't even know there was a season one of Happy Endings. I didn't. Uh, Happy Endings is uh, not a very good show. It is on ABC. I don't really know how this thing limped along. You know what's funny about this show is that um, the uh, – we'll talk about that in a second, Wade. The uh, – <laughs> stop that. You know the, the, uh, the, the pilot episode? Okay, the pilot episode of Happy Endings, mm-hmm. a stupid ABC sitcom, mm-hmm. was directed by the Russo brothers. Yeah. Now, the Russo brothers, their mm-hmm. new film, mm-hmm. the Captain America sequel. So somehow they went from directing the pilot for no- Happy Endings. Nothing makes sense. To anymore. directing the sequel to Captain America. Nothing makes sense. How does that anymore. work? I don't know. Anyway, Happy Endings, not a funny show. Um, season one on, uh, season two on DVD, 21 episodes, yeah. three discs, deleted scenes and outtakes, not worth it. All right. All right, Wade, the big one of the week. Well, actually, there's, uh, wait, you know what? There's, well, there's a. It's two. We have, we have a sci fi twofer, an old one two. and a new one. And yes. we're going to talk about what's happened to science fiction. Because I, we are? I no longer have. Well, yeah. Because it's an opening, it's an open door, you know. I understand. So before I jump into it, I just want to present this to you. Ouch! Look at this, huh? Look for it on Blu-ray in October. I have in front of me a um, two Blu-ray digital copy DVD combos. Uh, one, they both include ultraviolet uh, as the digital copy. So both of them have ultraviolet, Blu-ray, and DVD. Uh, one is a new movie. One's an old movie. Both of them talk about man's relationship to aliens. One is E.T., the extraterrestrial anniversary edition, finally out on Blu-ray, first time ever. The other one is Ridley Scott's Prometheus, which was kind of a dud this last summer. It, you know, it, it, it was hotly I anticipated. Was so, I went, literally, when I saw that trailer, I, I believe I had an erection. I, 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 hello? I did. Hello? <laughs> I hello? did. I, I was I could not contain my excitement when I saw the trailer uh, yeah, for Prometheus, and then I like literally like no, like no film yeah. since I was like sixteen. And when you finally saw it, it was it, Man, was, it was it was it was, it was like confusing. like realizing that, that that hot woman in the dress who turned around was your uncle, right? <laughs> it depends yeah. which uncle. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna first start with with, with ET here um, because ET coming out on Blu-ray is just so long overdue and so welcome and so wonderful. And a lot of us went and got the uh, you know the, the ET big giant box Blu-ray uh, or uh, DVD thing when it came out on DVD and it was just huge and unwieldy and takes up all the space in the shelf and you're going to want to get rid of that now because there's no reason. Uh, this has an incredible, before I get to anything else, I just want to say an incredible 7.1 audio mix. Really, really terrific. They put a lot of work into the audio and uh, that's well going over there at uh, Universal. I don't normally praise Universal's audio stuff, but they really did a great job on this. Um, forget all the other stuff, Pocket Blue app and BD Live, just junk all that stuff. Here, here are the, all, here's all that matters. The E.T. Journals, which is all the original footage from when they actually shot the film, 
and then a thing called Steven Spielberg and E.T., which is uh, a retrospective, looking back on the film and, you know, Spielberg kind of waxing nostalgic, which he does probably better than anybody else. But uh, the, between those two things, the then and the now stuff, absolutely they, terrific. They get everybody back. We get everybody they back. get everybody back, yep. and they, they, they put them in director's chairs, and they talk yep. to them. It's great. Yeah. And, uh, Peter Coyote, they're all there. Yep. D. Wallace Stone, the whole thing. And uh, you know what? Uh, there's other stuff, like little featurettes and things in the music and the, you know, the 20th anniversary premiere and some, some galleries and things like that, that that aren't that big of a deal. Uh, the other stuff is really terrific. But the, the film itself, it totally holds up. It's absolutely wonderful. This thing was a phenomenon. It was. When it came out. Yeah. And, it, you know, you know th- I think this film and Close Encounters, they have two things. They, they have one thing in common, and it's that, it's that sense of wonder. Yep. And, you know, Spielberg, you know, he did this film because he thought E.T. would be like the father he never had when his parents were divorced and the brother he never had. So it's coming from such an emotional place. It's not like, oh, let's make a, let's, let's make a movie so I can play with special effects like, yep. uh, like George Lucas does. The genesis of this movie to Spielberg was very genuine in his life. Yep. And you, you feel it when you watch the movie. And what's interesting, too, is worth pointing out, you know, Spielberg usually works with Michael Kahn. Michael Kahn is his, his editor guy for, like, everything he's ever done, except this movie. He worked with Carol Littleton, because uh, I guess Michael Kahn wasn't available. But it's, it's an interesting exception to, you know, his, his working methodology that he had a different editor on this film. Uh, E.T. made over four, uh, almost, it made $399 million, almost $400 million in about 12 months' time, never made more than about 10 or $12 million in any given weekend. That's unheard of today. That is unheard sure. of. That that kind of that those kind of legs and that kind of saturation. It was a cultural phenomenon, and we just don't have that anymore. No. And I miss that. No, the the, the only movie. Uh, it's funny. I remember when uh, when Titanic. That was the last film that seemed to stay in theaters a lot longer than mm-hmm. than usual. Yep. Right. Nowadays, you're out in four weeks. Yeah. Because you've got to make room for the next big summer blockbuster. True. You know that's why the studios. Bank on the opening weekend because yep. that's what it makes, you know, two thirds of its money. Yep. Back then, in 1982, you could let a film play in theaters for months, and, and people will, and people would see it two, three, four, five times. And and you know what? Uh, let's let's. Be I very, remember what. I remember everybody wanted to see ET. I'm telling you, man. In 1982, this thing was the S. This thing, it everyone was. had to see it. Oh, so it was. It was. I saw it at the Cinerama Dome. I did too. And I remember I was so excited. My dad was taking me to go see E.T. Mm-hmm. And I was looking forward to it. I was so excited. It was unbelievable. It was me and my father. It was a wow. It was me, a great father-son moment. And then, you know, I was looking forward. We were going to experience it together. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah, baby. And then, about, and then we're sitting in the seats. And about 15 minutes before the movie's going to start, my father turns to me. He says, I, I, I have to admit something. He goes, I saw this already. Oh, devastating. His, his second wife, my stepmother... Really, 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 really oh, wanted great. to see the movie, so they went to see it without me. That's it was probably a school day or something like that. Yeah. And so my dad was now seeing it for a second time, and now he was taking me. There so like go. this father son bonding moment, I thought I was going to have seeing it with my dad. It was like the second time he'd seen the movie already. But it was still great. Oh yeah, totally awesome. You know, uh, and and I want to point out too, uh, they when it, near the end when they're putting up the road blockade, they have guns again, not not walkie talkies. That was a big deal. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if people know that, but uh, one of the uh, the home video releases of the uh, of the yeah. movie, they went in and they uh, this and this is not the special edition with all that stupid uh, CGI ET going in the bathtub and all that junk. It's, no, this is the original movie, unfettered, yes. beautifully transferred. I none mean, of that the, other crap. In the 20th anniversary edition, Spielberg decided to yeah. have the the special agents guns removed and replaced with walkie-talkies yes which is ridiculous but now the guns are back and then uh, let's talk about prometheus uh prometheus look i i'm not gonna deny it this is uh, one of the better things that fox has released in quite a while on blu-ray they they really uh, put some money into this the audio sensational picture sensational nothing wrong with it this is as good as blu-ray can look as good as blu-ray can sound and of course, I love all the stuff with Michael Fassbender's, uh, you know, fawning over Lawrence of Arabia and doing his uh, his Peter O'Toole impressions. But as a prequel to Alien, I have to say, uh, it doesn't really do much for me. Um, it, 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 people just don't behave like they. Nothing makes any sense in this movie. You know, you it's know, really, it's, it's really quite silly. It's it, it thinks it's a film of ideas. The but problem it's not. is that it's a film of too many ideas that aren't fully formed. That aren't formed at all. 
you know. I mean, the idea is is allegedly it's trying to get behind our origins, which I guess I guess if I understand this film correctly, some big giant pale albino bald guy uh, tore himself to pieces, and his genetic material somehow seeded us, and then uh, somehow far in the future, there's uh, you know the planet that will eventually produce the alien. Uh, draws the attention of some human spaceship and they go down and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and that's kind of it, right? There's not much else to it. It's just a lot of set pieces. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of parallels to Alien. Obviously, it stars Numi Rapace, who's the kind of, oh, the kind of Sigourney great, Weaver great character. And, yeah, it's a great cast. And, of cast. course, Fassbender, who's the you know the uh, Guy Pierce, the Ash character. Guy Pierce is, is is you know is terrific. It, well, Idris Guy Elba Pierce wearing horrible old age makeup. Idris Elba, Charlize Theron, you know, playing uh, the uh, the tough chick uh, who's running the whole uh, expedition there. Yeah, I mean, but it still didn't really do much for me. Um, great production design by Arthur Max, by the way. Arthur Max is one of the great all time production designers. Just beautiful work. But otherwise, the movie doesn't really do much for me. So it's you know technically impressive, but that's about it. Well, no, well, uh, as you say, the Blu-ray looks amazing. It's a gorgeous, state-of-the-art uh, Blu-ray. It's just that the that the narrative structure was just all over the place. The philosophical stuff never really went anywhere for no. me. But you and can keep the little toy ET, by the way. That'll make you feel better about Prometheus. Th- yes, thank, thank you, Wade. That was very nice of you. Yes. Uh, oh, am I talking about these? Uh, yeah. I'll, you, yeah. Well, we why don't you eat the Why don't you eat the uh, the brownie? I did. Oh, did you like it? Love it. It's great brownie. I'm just saying. Nice brownie. Very good. And, now, I, and I may want. I may want that uh, chocolate thing that you were going to feed me earlier because I'm. What? You kind of got my appetite rolling. Well, you, you, you got me on a chocolate high. That pop tart thing. Well, tell me now because I have to put it in the uh, in the. Uh, oh, you got to uh, heat it up. Well, it's a pop tart. You know, we talk about those heat it up. I'll talk about something else. <laughs> well, you know, we trade off. We, 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 now, we work it here. Now, uh, well, when when I was in New York uh, about a year ago, I go to New York a couple times a year. When I was in New York about a year ago, I was told uh, to go see Rock of Ages, the uh, the stage show, which I didn't want to see because I don't really like those jukebox shows. And I don't know what came over me, but you know, I always want to see a show when I visit New York. And it was Rock of Ages. A buddy of mine had seen it like three times, and I said, you know what? All right, fine. I will go see Rock of Stupid Ages. It was so good. It was a lot of fun. The music was great. But I've heard it's because of the live dynamic, because you're right it's there, li- like it's a concert, two, right? Two things. Yeah. One is the live dynamic, and two, it realizes how ridiculous the music and the fashions were. It, it, there was a lot of winking going on, and I like that, because let's face it, a lot of 80s music was terrific, but a lot of 80s music was just like, what were we thinking? You know? True, yeah. So I, I like the fact that it had, it, 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 it was, it had that satirical streak to it. Then they came out with the movie Rock of Ages, and um, not so much, right? And not so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Tom Cruise. I didn't, I think- I didn't dislike this movie, but I I felt like it. it uh, you know, when everybody whenever whenever I start singing Motorin on the bus at the very beginning. Even though I knew I was watching a musical, there was just something about it where I just I suddenly felt it felt very art. It, it felt it felt like it was trying very I, hard to please you. It felt very artificial. It I felt, felt like, like a jukebox. It felt like the jukebox show that the that the stage play didn't feel like. I felt like I was naked in a shopping mall. That's how embarrassed I was for everyone on screen in that moment. Why? Yeah. So can you explain that, please? It's just you, you, you when you're embarrassed for people when they're they're making such fools of themselves on screen that you feel physically embarrassed for them. It's a, it's a, it's a, don't you ever have that feeling? <laughs> didn't you ever watch Different Strokes? Every single time Gary Coleman said, what you talking about, Willis? Didn't you just feel like you were naked in a shopping mall? No, I love it. Oh, jeez. Come on, what show about Willis? Oh, the greatest so ever. It's, it's like, kiss my grits, Mel. No, I, no. That, that, show, I, that show I actually no, never liked. No, It's embarrassing. Anyway. All right, so this is, you know what, it's very, it's very lightweight. It's, it feels like a jukebox show, and it, yeah. it, it, you, 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 you miss the live energy. It's uh, it's the it's very garish but kind of bland. Mm. The mm. staging is, and the script does not have the snap, the satire of the stage show. And I gotta say, this thing was disappointing. Uh, even people like Alec Baldwin, who are usually pretty priceless, uh, I didn't think he did much for me here. I'm a huge fan of Tom Cruise. I will defend Tom Cruise to the ends of the earth. He was that he was the best thing about this movie because I do like him, and he played kind of a you know a. Like an actual no, I rose type. I, yeah, I, uh, I did like him He's in great. it. Uh, the DVD looks uh, terrific. Uh, the Blu-ray looks terrific. You know, again, it, it, you know, the, uh, the black levels are great. The detail's great. The neon is great. Uh, I, I don't know that this film was all, all that well shot. It was just sort of like lit very garishly, as I yeah. said before. Um, 
but the 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 audio is great, which of course is important. Yeah, the audio is great because you got to got to hear all those great sounds. Great like songs. like Alec Baldwin did not like uh, the former uh, Mr. Katy Perry. Ah, yeah, you know what? I, I didn't really buy him in this either. It's weird. Um, you know, can I say something about John Cusack? He needs to stop. John Cusack. <laughs> he needs to just. He needs to stop thinking that he's got that kind of range. John Cusack. He does not. Ugh. John Cusack is the best actor who's actually kind of never made a great film. I mean, he's made films we've all enjoyed, you know, High Fidelity and whatever. Yeah, no, no, but he's yeah, kind of yeah. like I feel like this guy. He there's something about he I feels know. like a. He's he's like a souffle that's never quite risen as high as it should. I agree. He's good. I like him. You know, he's. I, I felt like there were some movies like Gross Point Blank and City Hall. I love Gross which Point I Blank. Love, it's terrific. And City Hall, which was flawed but ambitious, where he, I, he could and should have maybe popped it up a notch, but it, it never happened for him. I just, I think, I just think, I, I, I and he's he's done a lot of stuff. He's done, done a lot of different kinds of things. You know, I, I thank him for trying. But The Raven. Oh. Which is uh, which is where Cusack plays um, Edgar Allan Poe. Well, look, it's basically a low but Relativity decided, hey, Warner's making a, a bunch of m- money off of those Sherlock Holmes things. How can we make a, one of those kind of period detective action things? How can we rip them off? I know we'll make a Sherlock Holmes movie, except it'll be uh, it'll involve uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe is Sherlock Holmes. Well, you know, it was directed by James McTeague, who also did uh, V for Vendetta. Yes, and James McTeague, in case people don't know, James McTeague directs movies where uh, menacing people put on cloaks and run in slow motion down backlit hallways. That's what he does. That, seriously, that really V for true. Vendetta has, is nothing but that. This is the same movie. As soon as somebody shows up here with a, with a cloak running down a backlit hallway in slow motion, I just thought, really, is that all you can do? Is That's... that your only thing? Is that your is that your your hallmark? Anyway, I I just thought this thing was it was uh, preposterous, and uh, you know, and Cusack just just he just acts himself into a lather for absolutely no reason, and uh, you know, I just think that the thing was just created out of, out of the spare parts of better films, and I just think it was a total misfire, and I'm not really quite sure what it's they expected from this. What did they expect from this I film? Have no idea. It's, it's not going to make two hundred million dollars. I don't know what relativity expects for anything they make. It, they're, they're, they're just, it's a failed enterprise. I don't understand any of it. All right, go fetch me that food, man. Now, here's the thing. Because we're in a hurry, because yeah. the show's going to be over soon, yeah. I have to pop this in the toaster. That's fine. I don't know what's going to happen when I pop this thing in the toaster. Pop it in the toaster, man. This, okay. is, this is dynamic. This is like an, always an adventure on this show, because we have no professional ethics whatsoever. All right, I'm going to mention a bunch of things from the uh, 20th Century Fox Filmmaker's Signature Series. There are uh, a bunch of noteworthy films that they've released as part of this new uh, Signature Series, which comes in with a, a uh, slip cover that's uh, kind of a standard packaging and a little signature by the director, and uh, it's all meant to sort of take films that would otherwise not be all that attractive as standalone titles and make you feel guilty for not buying them because you have to have them all. And so that's why we're going to throw Ed Burns' She's the One in here. This was his follow-up to the uh, uh, Brothers McMullen. My goodness, Mark's making noise. Uh, this was a one, well, one of his follow-up films to uh, Brothers McMullen where he was kind of trying to step it up a bit and uh, work with bigger actors. And uh, you got Jennifer Aniston and uh, Cameron Diaz in this, which is, you know, really, really uh, putting himself in, in good company. But you know what? It's still, it still kind of feels like lightweight Woody Allen. Uh, not great, not bad, but it's, you know, just more of his kind of relationship stuff that he does. And it's a, it's a Blu-ray. These are all Blu-rays, by the way. Um, not a film that really absolutely has to be on Blu-ray. It's not going to, you know, if you have it on DVD, you don't need to upgrade. It's not going to do much for you. film that absolutely deserves to be part of this series, The War of the Roses, Danny DeVito. I don't know, you know, I want Danny DeVito to get back into the director's chair and start making feature films again. He is a tremendous director. War of the Roses... Uh, just from the from the incredible homage shot that uh, pays homage to uh, Citizen Kane at the very beginning, all the way through, this is one of the most brilliant black comedies I have ever seen. It is genius. The movie, is, of course, is all about a complete uh, disintegration in a marriage. Uh, you know, two people who fall in love, and then everything just goes completely and totally to hell. Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, with Danny DeVito as the as the attorney who uh, is kind of the the flashback device. But what a great film! It's so stylish. It's so dark. It's Which so. One? War of the Roses. Oh, that's a great film. Oh, it's, it's so, so you know what he had such an interesting sensibility. He you know he did a bunch of good films. He's, he's got to he's got to get back in the chair. Yeah, I know. But he's you know what he also did Hoffa. Chair. We don't know about Hoffa. Well, that's we, we got that coming up too. 
We got that coming up too. Okay. We're, we're I'm, you know, I'm just mixing it up a bit. Uh, now, m- uh, as long as we're moving into, you know, uh, talking about Edward Burns stuff, uh, the, boo. the well, well, I just, I just said boo to uh, she's the one. Say boo to all of his stuff except well, for the no, one you're no, holding. Yeah, because this is this is the good one. This is the the, the one that kind of started it all for him, Brothers McMullen, uh, which was his low budget uh, Sundance film that won the Sundance Film Festival. And uh, you know, because he made it with very few resources and didn't have an ego and didn't have anything to lose, it's a better film. And uh, it's a terrific cast, except for Maxine Bonds, who was his girlfriend at the time, who was a terrible actress and was only cast in the movie because she was his girlfriend at the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, otherwise, it, the commentary is good. It's a decent film. But, again, not essential to have it on Blu-ray. Um, Wall Street, Michael Douglas. As long as we're talking about Michael Douglas, War of the Roses, we also have Oliver Stone's Wall Street on Blu-ray here as part of the Signature Series. Uh, you know what? I have issues with Wall Street. A lot of other people don't. A lot of people love it. I think it's a cartoon. I don't think it's all that great of a movie. Uh, I also th- think it is structurally exactly the same thing that he did in Scarface. Every character in Wall Street has a parallel in Scarface. If you think of Michael Douglas's character as uh, Robert Loge's character from Scarface and Charlie Sheen as the Al Pacino character, and, you know, if you draw a line from uh, Daryl Hannah to um, Michelle Pfeiffer, you start to kind of figure out what he's doing. It's a well-made film. It's not a a very deep film, I don't think. And uh, I like Wall Street, too, a lot better. But that being said, it's a a good Blu-ray if you like it. Um, And then we've got uh, Hoffa, which Mark just dissed a second ago, which uh, is one of Danny DeVito's less successful films as a director. I prefer when he makes stuff like uh, Throw Mama from the Train and... uh, Oh, Throw Mama from the Train. the best, right? And Ramsey. Tap, 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 like a fat little pigeon. Uh, it was the best. That was the best. Now, this is this is Danny DeVito trying to be a little bit more self-important with Jack Nicholson playing, of course, the man whose body they thought they found under some driveway again the other day. But, of course, no. It's always always, uh, always a misfire every time somebody thinks that they've found Hoffa's body. Uh, incredibly, David Mamet wrote the, the screenplay for this, and, and he, it's a misfire for him as well. So a rare misfire for just about everybody involved, except, frankly, for Jack Nicholson, who... Uh, who was really good in the movie. It just doesn't have a lot to do. Also, a very, very good score, by the way, um, by David Newman of the famous Newman family. I actually, believe it or not, I sat in on some of the scoring sessions for that. That's why you mentioned it, not because like you like the score. No, you no, want no, to, I'm like, talking about the drop. Signature Series. Oh, who cares? And then I, lastly, and lastly uh, and not least, from the Signature Series, <gasps> William Free. That's right, French Connection, finally, which was available at Best Buy as a, an exclusive I had while. that version, and I got it at Best Buy. Now it's what? available for regular people. Now it's available. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, special anymore. No, you're not. So anyway, uh, commentary with Friedkin, uh, as well as a commentary with Gene Hackman and the late Roy Scheider, and uh, isolated score, tr- deleted scenes, lots of great stuff here. French Connection, one of the great all-time American cop oh, films. Yeah. One of the great films of the 70s. Love it. On Blu-ray, finally, for everybody yep. who doesn't shop at Best Buy to go and, uh, and dig. It is awesome. Okay, wait, here's the thing. I, I tried, I tried, what, what you are staring at right now, which I had to pop in the toaster, which I have no idea what it's going to taste like out of the toaster, yeah. is um, my third try at making a homemade Pop-Tart. Okay. I'm going to so, eat this. I'm going to eat this. You're going to talk about those, and then we'll do some uh, Vox Box, and then we'll wrap everything up. No, I'm not sure if this is going to taste good. Okay. In fact, I'm very curious to see. No, you got to be honest. Okay, I'll be honest. It's. <laughs> I probably. Um, hang on, I have to watch Wade as he eats this. <laughs> Flaky. Oh, Flaky's good. Flaky, buttery. Oh, that's good. Gentle. Gentle. I don't know what that means. Swedish. <laughs> Swedish or sweetish. Take your pick, whatever. I'll I'll, I'll take sweetish, not Swedish. Danish. I mean, you can't lie to me. If you liked it, tell me you like it. If you don't like it, you got to tell me what you don't like about it. Except for the fact that it might be cold in the middle because, again, we're in a hurry. Forget that part. No, it's nice. Seriously. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. Don't, don't, don't lie to me. No, the chocolate could be a little better. Okay. That's fine. Could be a little more... What? Ganache. Really? Okay. Yeah, the chocolate's a little bland. Okay. That's fine. But the, uh, well, the, he, okay, the pastry he, is very nice. Okay, here's the thing. The reason why this is so interesting to our listeners, our listeners love when we talk about this... The reason why I made chocolate Pop-Tarts was because I'm, I'm taking this eight-week professional baking course, mm-hmm. and I have found that making a pie crust is very difficult to get right. And so I've been seeking out recipes that mm-hmm. require I make a pie crust. So I saw this Pop-Tart recipe. Very nice. That's essentially a pie crust with chocolate in the middle. Right on. So you realize that that is my third attempt. All right. That is my th- – Wade, 
There is literally 16 homemade Pop-Tarts in the garbage. 16? In the garbage. Wow. Because the first eight I made, here's what happened. So the first eight I made. Some hobo is going to be really well fed tonight. I know. Oh, but they, 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 they taste terrible. The first eight, I put them in the, uh, in the oven, right? I think a hobo cares. <laughs> I know. They're hobos. Yeah, but now it's like ants and rats it's, eating it. Anyway, so, so the first eight I put in the oven, right? It's that or the Big Mac left from some other hobo. I, 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 I'd rather have that. Okay. So the first eight I put into the oven, right? Fifteen minutes into its uh, oven time, I open the oven, and there are eight Pop-Tarts swimming in a pool of melted butter at the bottom of the pan. Okay? All the butter has been just melted and is not actually in the pastry. Mm-hmm. So that's a goner. What? Oh, well, I'm, get, I'm, the, get to the Blu-ray. I'm, 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 I'm working on it. Okay. So then I decided to make it again because I think I got to figure it out. I think I know what the problem is. I, th- I make another eight. And by the way, these things are a pain in the ass to make. Mm-hmm. So I pop it in the oven. I'm confident I got it figured out. I check 15 minutes into, into its oven time, open up the door, and there's eight beautiful Pop-Tarts swimming in a pool of melted butter at the bottom of the sheet pan. So that's garbage time. So now, that's now 16 homemade Pop-Tarts that are in the garbage. I, just, I wake up this morning. I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to make it one more time. I, I've got enough ingredients to make this thing one more time, and I think i got to figure it out. So I made it one more time, and I figured out what was wrong, and that's the one you're eating, and that one tastes decent, right? Totally decent. Thank you. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Thank you very All much. Right. Okay. Um, Dave... Is uh, an Ivan Ratman film, which by the way was uh, written by Gary Ross. Gary Ross, of course, uh, wound up being a uh, the director of The Hunger Games, and Gary Ross was a writer before he became a director, and I think a very good director. He was, you know, directed Pleasantville and uh, a couple other films. Anyway, uh, Kevin Klein plays a uh, this presidential lookalike who is recruited to stand in for the president, and uh, Sigourney Weaver plays his wife. And this is a terrific uh, satire. There's a lot of funny stuff in it. It's very sweet. Uh, but it's still funny. It's a little bit corny, but it's lighthearted and it's fun and it's good natured and I really like it a lot. It's on Blu-ray. Um, the special feature, the making of, is whatever. It's really nothing to buy the Blu-ray over. But it is the first time it's on Blu-ray. So if you do like Dave, and it is a terrific comedy, um, I would go ahead and check this out. I would at least rent it because again, you probably never heard of it, probably never saw it because it's never been on Blu-ray. Watch it on election night so you don't stress out. Exactly. Speaking of election night, we have uh, the American president. Now, the American president, this is an early um, Aaron Sorkin script. And this was directed by Rob Reiner. This was sort of at the tail end of Rob Reiner's uh, amazing run of great film after great film. This one I found to be, um, it's a good film, I have to say. Uh, But it's all about uh, this very liberal Democrat Played by Michael Douglas, who is it's Michael Douglas week, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I, I, you know, I love Michael Douglas. I really do. I always have. He's cool. Um, up for re-election, super liberal Democrat, and uh, he winds up meeting this very beautiful environmentalist, played by Annette Benning, and they sort of fall in love. What's going to happen? Blah blah blah. So this, this is, is, this, is uh, this is the movie with Richard Dreyfuss playing the the evil. Uh, Republican guy, right? Yes. Yeah, it's just such a cartoon. But you know what it is? What, 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 what I liked about American President is that it's like it's great mainstream middle brow yeah. entertainment. In other words, the kind of movie they don't make anymore. It's like, you know, this would star <laughs> Jimmy Stewart in yeah. the 50s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's why I liked it. And today it would star like. like no, today it wouldn't get made. Yeah, today it wouldn't get made. But if it did get made, it would star Adam Sandler, and he'd be uh, running around, you know, with like a, a propeller beanie on his head, driving a, a big wheel through the halls of the White House. Okay, so you really didn't hate that Pop Tart? It's very important to me. No. That's my third. There were 16 Pop Tarts in the garbage being eaten by rats. So oh, yeah. it was very important that I knew what your thoughts were. Wow, I'm kind of flattered. Okay, so okay, it, yeah, it wasn't bad. It works. Okay, no. but, but, but the chocolate wasn't that great. You know, it got better as it got in the middle. Okay, but the uh, but the pastry was good. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, very nice. Very You're important. turning into quite a quite a uh, a pastry chef, I have to say. Thank you. I think I could get a job for you at uh, at a bakery somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, making McDonald's biscuits. All right, what else we have? Wait, do we know? Do, do we have a? Yes, we're going to. What, what, yeah, what do we we're have? We're going to do Vox Box and uh, Lister Mail now. What? Yes. Can so I sing the song? Go ahead, do the song. <laughs> Hello to Wade and Mark. Um, my name's Carlos from Melbourne, Australia. 
you're another Australian listener. But um, if I have lost my Australian accent, it's because, you know, I'm training to be an actor, so I'm trying to sound like an American person. But aside from that, um, I've been basically going through film history, you know. I've been watching Charlie Chaplin films, you know, I'm up to, like, the 1960s right now. And um, I saw the movie It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which I really like. And I did a little bit of research on it, and there were, like, three versions of the film. There's the 210-minute version, the 192 version, and I think there's another one for, like, 159, so 160-minute one. And the 210 version's been known to be lost footage because, you know, I think they're re- I think it was um, hard, hard to find, or, you know, it's pretty hard to replicate. So I was wondering, will there ever be a release for at least the 190-minute version because so far they've only been releasing the 160-minute version on Blu-ray, but I want to know, um, will they ever get the 192 version? Because they've pretty much given up on the 210-minute version. Thanks. Awesome question from Carlos in Australia. Uh, Carl, you know, that, that is a really, really interesting story. And um, I, it's... Uh, it was the preview showing that they showed the, like, a three-and-a-half-hour cut. That was the preview showing. The actual well, release the, version was not... Here's, here's the problem. The 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 two ten the two hundred ten minute version is the roadshow version. It's the the you know the the the, the widescreen seventy millimeter big mama whichever whatever it was. It was super super something a scope seventy. I forget exactly what the format was. The film was shot in. It was one of those mega widescreen uh, formats at the time, and it it's a as if I recall correctly, it's a wider format than when they cut it down for regular release. So the roadshow release was the the longer film, the wider film. The problem is that they there there are no more there are big gaps in the prints that they have that would they would be able to re- use to restore that so they don't have those original elements and I would have to um, I'd have to do a lot of research into this to really uh, find out what the status is I know I've had some talks in the past with Robert Harris the of course brilliant archivist who um, has this entire history committed to memory and uh, we should have Robert Harris on the show at some point and let him kind of talk about a lot of these you know stories because there are half a dozen films out there that right now are in jeopardy believe it or not and this is one of them and uh, somewhere the elements for that uh, exist and uh, you know they have to be able to track them down I mean you would think somewhere somebody's got to have the missing pieces to fill out that 210 minute version you you know what honestly here's the thing yeah I have the missing pieces because I don't want people to see a three and a half hour comedy. It is so freaking no, funny. No, it's not. It's I, awesome. I, I, I'm the one guy who thinks that that movie is just just bloated, <laughs> and overrated, and just a big gigantic. So it's like the Hindenburg of comedies. Let me let me explain something to you. Any movie that involves Dick Sean wearing little red shorts can be as long as it wants because Dick Sean is hilarious. Three and a half hours. Stop that. Dick Sean is hysterical. Yeah. No. When Come I watch that film, he's now, Ethel Merman's son in the movie. When I watch, I'm coming, that, Mama. It's Dick Sean in red shorts. Give me a break. It's funny. I pop that into the DVD machine, and I press double time, because on a PlayStation 3, you can press the button, and it plays it at double speed, but you can still hear the dialogue. Okay, that cuts it down to about seven hours, and then I stop it on the funniest scenes. I'm just telling you, I'm I just guess. Not a, I, I'm, I'm the guy. Well, it. I, I, here, here's, here's, <gasps> wow. hang on, before, before, before we... <laughs> I want this. Before is this the we, movie? Yes, it is. Before we get into... Be, be, before I allow you to, to go nuts on those, because um, I got some other stuff here I got to talk about, too. The, um, uh, the answer for that, frankly, is uh, we don't know. Nobody really knows. It is, it is a detective effort now to track down the missing pieces of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And uh, once they do, then obviously to make a big deal out of it and to uh, you know, generate enough hype that people are going to want to buy it and want to see it again. And that's always the driver in these things, is, is there demand for it to justify the restoration, to justify the, uh, the archival effort. And a lot of these studios don't think there is, you know. So we have to keep kind of plugging away and encouraging people to, you know, make a fuss and, you know, let them know, just post on whatever forums are out there and let them know, and we'll certainly let them know that there is interest in this and that if they actually make the effort to get the, you know, put some money into the movie, they'll get it back when, uh, when they, they make a big stink out of it. So um, we don't know. We really don't know. But we, we keep hoping. And I kind of feel like that's something that will eventually manifest itself, if not in the next uh, couple of years, certainly in the next four or five years, I think we'll, we may kind of see a break in that. So, you know, maybe technology will catch up and they'll be able to do it without uh, tracking down some of the elements that they think they need. I don't know. 
Anyway, all right. You know, here we got a couple of uh, great Blu-ray book deals this week. And Warner Brothers, of course, pioneered the Blu-ray book and all other uh, Blu-ray book uh, digipack book Blu-ray combos from other studios are pretenders to the throne. Uh, I'm talking about Little Shop of Horrors here, the director's cut, with the um, completely restored original ending where uh, the friggin' plant just goes totally Godzilla, and that is just so much fun. Uh, nobody quite knows why that ending was uh, was was removed. I forget. You know, I think David Geffen had a problem with it at the time or something like that. But it really makes no sense. It was just a great ending, and it should have always been the ending of the movie. Uh, wonderful commentary with uh, with Frank Oz on the uh, theatrical version, and then an optional commentary on the uh, twenty minute alternate ending. And uh, you know, you can watch either either version here. Uh, but, you know, the original ending is what belongs on this movie. It really does. It's just sensational. A lot of other featurettes. And it's a wonderful Blu-ray book, a, tra- a fantastic transfer. Of course, the original film was a low-budget Roger Corman film that uh, co-starred Jack Nicholson. This is the brilliant, brilliant musical, uh, the Broadway musical made into an amazing Frank Oz-directed film that I still think is one of the, the most entertaining film musicals of the last, you know, 30 years. I think it was one of the, after the golden age of the musicals, uh, this is when it really all kind of started to come together again. And I just love this film. I think it's so well directed. Down on Skid Row, man. <laughs> it is a good movie. Steve Martin. He's so good. He's so funny. He's so funny. Steve Martin. So uh, there are two versions of Magical Mystery Tour, which, uh, which uh, is out, which are out. One is, a, uh, is just the Blu-ray, and uh, the other is a Blu-ray uh, collector's box set that has, like, uh, replicas and props and memorabilia and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what we're staring at now is just the Blu-ray itself. Um, what well, happened? You're, you're a fan of this, aren't you? I am. Well, I'm a fan. Yeah. I, I love the Beatles. I mean, yeah. look, when um, after Sgt. Pepper came out, the uh, Beatles just decided to take a bus and go into the English countryside and, like, uh, you know, film crap. And that's what they did. And, you know, make no mistake, it's like 55 minutes of just completely self, self-indulgent whatever. It's psychedelic and it's ridiculous and it's really just a bunch of nothing. But... It's Beatles Nothing with great songs, and the Blu-ray has a director's commentary from Paul McCartney, ladies and gentlemen. It's got a making of, which is great, and uh, it's got a couple of featurettes on it. So considering it's only like a one-hour movie, and it ain't much of a one-hour movie, I mean, aside from the music, they did a great job on the Blu-ray. So I would highly recommend the Blu-ray of Beatles Magical Mystery Tour. Also on Blu-ray, we have a film that I remember I saw at the time and I didn't like at all called Cold Creek Manor. Cold Creek Manor was uh, directed by Mike Figgis, and Mike Figgis... Yeah, not so much in this movie. Yeah, his biggest film was Leaving Las Vegas, and uh, which is a very dark and edgy and wonderful... Uh, wonderful, I don't know if wonderful is the right word, but a terrific film. Uh, this one is more of a, uh, of a thriller. It's one of those... Family wants to escape uh, the big city, so they move to the countryside. And of course, their 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 life in the in the in the in the suburbs becomes a nightmare. And uh, it's got a good cast: Dennis Quaid, Sharon Stone, S- Stephen Dorff is never all that great. But anyway, anyway, um, this thing was just a dud. I don't know what what Mike Figgis was thinking. Uh, he, you know, this this whole thing is mailed in. So Cold Creek Manor, Very not strange. into it. The hand that rocks the cradle. Uh, that is an interesting film. This is the 20th anniversary Blu-ray. There is no uh, – a couple special – actually, there's no special features on this thing. You know, Curtis Hansen had well, a moment, and now well, that moment's over. You know, Curtis Hansen started he – was, he was another one of those guys that came out of low-budget exploitation films out of the Corman factory. And then some – like kind of like uh, Jonathan Demme before him, he segued into legitimacy by making – LA Confidential. Well, movies like this, actually, where it's, it's still an exploitation film, but it's got a studio budget and an A-list cast, and somehow it, it doesn't feel like an exploitation film. And then he was able to segue into stuff like L.A. Confidential, and somehow he, 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 he's gone now. He is gone. Well, you know, he ate Mile. He ate Mile. That wasn't very well received. I don't know what, he, what drives him. You know, he's a hard guy to figure out. Why not? Well, here's the thing. This, this was a couple of years before uh, L.A. Confidential, and this is one of those. It's, it's very B-movie-ish. Uh, a lot of shock effects. I think this is before he became yeah. like the adult filmmaker. I mean, when I say adult, like yeah. more the mature filmmaker yeah, that he is like, now. Yeah. Um, this is much more of a thrillery thriller. Uh, you know, it's got some moments. It's never been on Blu-ray before. If you've never seen it, you know, you can go ahead and give it a rental. I don't think it's worth uh, buying. Um, so there you go. 
the hand that rocks the cradle. Not much there. Not much. And we're going to wrap out with a couple of uh, Betty Davis movies. Um, one, uh, an absolute must-own. The other one, eh, not so much. Uh, not that uh, Dead Ringer is bad. It's Betty Davis and Carl Malden and Peter Lawford in uh, kind of, you know... It's it, directed by Paul Henry, you know, who who really is not a director; he's an actor. But uh, it's uh, you know, uh, this was this was kind of a, a an attempt to transfer the popularity of whatever whatever happened to Baby Jane into a new Betty Davis vehicle, and not so much doesn't really work. Um, it's. Uh, Betty Davis playing psychotic uh, twin, twin sisters. sisters for the second time. Yes, she 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 played twin sisters before. In, I, um, yeah, uh, in, hang on, which a were, stolen life. Yes, this is this is not in anything like that. It it really it it mean it's kind of campy in a in not a good way. And I, uh, I you sort of wish everybody involved had not made this because the the motives were all completely wrong. Uh, Gene Hagen, however, very very entertaining. Carl Malden, Peter Lawford, just kind of walk through it. Everybody's sort of collecting a paycheck. Um, but speaking of whatever happened to Baby Jane, that's where we're going to end this this week. We have another fantastic Blu-ray book from uh, Warner Brothers on whatever happened to Baby Jane, the anniversary edition, which uh, lets Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, both of them lifelong rivals uh, in their waning years, they just ham it the hell up in this. And and Betty Davis is just so weird and spooky. And uh, it's just genius. This is one of those weird movies that just kind of came around at the right time. It doesn't feel like an old Hollywood movie. It feels almost like a David Lynch film. It feels very weird and fringe. The titles, everything about it is just kind of a little bit tweaked. And uh, it's really, really fun. Robert Aldrich uh, kind of hit his his career pinnacle with this. An amazing screenplay by Lucas Heller. uh, And a great commentary on this Blu-ray with uh, Charles Bush and John Epperson, who just tell you everything you need to know about the movie and then some. Uh, a bunch of documentary featurette profiles on Betty and Joan and uh, Betty Foster individually and Joan Crawford individually and a whole bunch of other stuff and an excerpt from the Andy Williams show of 1962 with Betty Davis on it. Um, This is a great, great set and the transfer is so good. This movie has amazing black and white photography and it's just, you know, my highlight of this movie, my favorite thing in this movie, Victor Buono. Victor Buono, who, by the way, I don't know if you know, you know Victor Buono. Remember, he uh, he go, he runs away from Betty Davis at yeah, one point, and yeah, she yeah. stands her in the doorway and says, "He hates me." That's great. <laughs> uh, now, there's a uh, Victor Buono, the only actor to play uh, to to play a villain, a super villain, a recurring super villain character who does not get caught on two different television shows. Did you know this? Batman. Batman. He played. He, played King Tut. Oh, that's right. He played King Tut. Played King Batman. Tut. But you know what the other role is that Victor Buono played on a, on a show similar to that? I do not. But it never really materialized in anything because Miguelito Loveless was so popular, they kept bringing him back and back and back. However, Victor Buono, they tried to turn him into another one of those villains on the Wild Wild West as Count Manzeppi. Aren't you glad that I know that? I'm glad of nothing you know. Yeah, you bet. I'm glad of nothing you've ever said or known. Oh. So that's it. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? One of the all, all-time great black comedies. Um, all right, so uh, we're not going to get around to listener mail this week. We'll do that next week. Uh, if you want to send us your Vox boxes or your listener mail, please do so at gods at digigods.com. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.